Well, we've been in our series on Colossians, but before we open the Word of God together, I want to go ahead and give you the title of my sermon from the beginning. Last Sunday, it was so powerful and a little bit emotional for me because we were talking about the fatherhood of God. And you need to know that for me, talking about the fatherhood of God is not like a topic that I preach on. It is the central tenet of my theology about God. I was in seminary, and one of my seminary professors said, he said, you need to know at the very least, if God is nothing else, he is a loving, relational, heavenly father. You need to know your God wants you to know him as father. So when I start talking about the fatherhood of God, that's not like just checking the box, okay? That's something that we need to talk about when we read the Bible, because Jesus said, when you pray to God, you should call him father. The fatherhood of God is everything to me. And those moments that we had together last week, they were so emotional because they're rooted deep in my soul and they've taken on a brand new meaning over the course of the past three and a half years as I've had kids of my own. And every parent, you know what I'm talking about, but you think you know God as father and then you have kids and then you think about the way God looks at you and it just changes everything and it makes you even more emotional than you were before. And so I'm just going to be real and I'm trying to be as real as I can for as long as I possibly can. I love the fatherhood of God. And so I want to extend what we were talking about last week because I don't think Paul veers from it in our reading in Colossians. The title of this week's sermon is called The Father's Blessing. The Father's Blessing. What do you think about when you see those words? The Father's Blessing. Now that's a little bit of just like a Bible word, when we think about the blessing of the father, a lot of us think back to the Old Testament where a father would pass down a blessing to the firstborn son and it included spiritual implications, it included financial implications, it included the responsibility to uh, take care of the household. But when we talk about a blessing, primarily what we're talking about is the protection and favor of a father. And when I say the Father's blessing, I'm talking about the protection and favor that your heavenly Father has offered you in Jesus. So this is more than an inheritance. It's more than a saying. It's more than just favor. It's the overwhelming covering of God's approval over your life. Now, the most awkward moment of my life, top five most awkward moments of my life, because I have a lot of them, uh, but I would say uh, the most awkward moment I could think of this week was the moment I asked for my wife's hand in marriage. I was in Panama City Beach, Florida, which provides plenty of awkwardness in and of itself, but I was sitting by a pool with my future father-in-law, who I wasn't like particularly close to. Uh, I don't think he really understood the whole calling to be a pastor thing. I think he had maybe other dreams for his daughters, and definitely, specifically, uh, my wife, Courtney, he, she and uh, him had a really special relationship, and so I can remember her. We were on like a, a, a mini family vacation, and, and my wife like takes her little brother away and gives us this this private moment that even to the I'm cringing right now just reliving it in my mind and I'm like hey man I need to talk to you about something and and immediately you know we never had a moment like that I think he's wearing reading glasses and I just remember him looking over like no no you're not about to do this right here on my vacation in Panama City Beach Florida you're about to ask me for Courtney's hand now here's the thing I was still in college 
I had no offers for a full-time job, which at the time, I really didn't think that was that big of a deal. I knew I was in love with Courtney, and I knew I wanted to marry her, and I knew God had a special plan for my life. Now, I have two daughters of my own. So I have a lot more empathy for my father-in-law, because if I'm sitting at that pool, I'm like, no, we're going to figure out your calling. We're going to figure out this whole work thing, and we're going to figure out this little thing like income before you decide to ask me for my daughter's hand. And I just remember a little bit of it was just humorous, his reaction of like, well, there's nothing I can really say to stand in the way. Um, I never thought my daughter would be marrying a preacher, but uh, I'm for you. You have my blessing. And as awkward as that conversation was, I can't explain uh, the value and the overwhelming confidence that the blessing of a father over something gives. If you're in a room with your father-in-law right now, or maybe fathers-in-law, you're in the room with your son-in-law, just go ahead and relive those moments because those are the moments that awkwardness and dreams are just made of. And, and I want you to have that moment together. But I thought back to that moment and I thought it just wouldn't be the same entering into my future family without the blessing of a father. And that's a small example, but on a deep level, I believe the God of the universe created you and created me to live our lives underneath the blessing of God the Father. What I mean by that is, yes, you have a relationship with your earthly father, and in many unique ways, you have experienced how God intrinsically put on the inside of you a need for a father to validate you, to be proud of you, to speak life over you, to believe in you. That's real. But the main reason why that small example exists is to point to a greater reality, which is God is your heavenly father, and he has offered a blessing of approval over your life because of the blood of Jesus. And everything about the Christian life will not make sense unless you receive it. It begins with approval. You don't work toward approval. And that's what Paul was talking about in Colossians 3 last week because Paul is talking about how do you live a resurrected life? How do you put your old life in the grave? Jesus died, buried, my old life, dead and buried. And how do you participate in letting your new life rise from the grave and walk in the new identity of the name God has called you? Paul's answer in Colossians is simple. It takes action. The action is called faith. So you will not wake up in the morning and naturally feel like living in the new resurrected life Jesus died for you to live. It takes a proactive mindset, but it's not anything you work toward. It's something that you realize and work from. It's you believe and agree with God that you're already approved of by your heavenly father because of the finished work of Jesus. And because you're already approved and because you're already empowered and because you've already arrived at a new identity because of Jesus, now you've been given the power that you need to go and live the life you couldn't live without the Holy Spirit filling you up on the inside. And until you accept the blessing of your heavenly father, you won't be able to live out that life. And I just know for so many of us today, this is the exact word we need. And we need it more than on a superficial surface good feeling. 
I don't know what your relationship with your earthly dad was like, and honestly, whether it was awesome or whether it was awful, it's not really important for this message. I'm not really looking to go deep there or have you rehash all of the things that go into your relationship with your dad. I'm just trying to take that relationship and then rewire our minds to go, you have to receive the blessing of your heavenly father, and it's more than letting God say, I love you, and I approve of you, and I validate you. It's also giving God permission to love you enough to go to the deepest part of your soul and change you from the inside out. And that's what God's going to do today. Some of the passage that we're going to read from Colossians 3, it's going to deal with some deep issues like forgiveness and internal peace. And if you don't realize that you're already operating from the blessing of your heavenly father, the very work that God is trying to do on the inside of you to heal you is going to feel like abuse. It's going to feel hard. It's going to feel difficult. So we have to understand, staying connected to the love of our Heavenly Father, staying underneath the Father's blessing is the only way to live the Christian life. Intro over. You guys in? You good? Are you interested? Okay, I don't hear anything because I'm just talking to a camera right now, but I trust that you're in this with me. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Right where you are, hold it up. I get more and more tired of doing this online every week. And man, I've gotten a lot of questions like, well, some states are reopening. Like, when's the next time we're going to gather? We don't know. Trust me. We are innovating every week the way we go about our online gathering. But we're also dreaming about what it's going to look like when we're able to gather together again. And I'll tell you this. If we get to go ahead to gather, and it may not be at 323 Airport Road, trust me, we are going to make it happen as soon as it is safe and it is wise underneath the leadership of the amazing people who are in our local government our federal government at the state level. I think we need to honor our leaders, pray for our leaders. Now is not the time uh, to be getting bitter. Turn with me. <laughs> you still have your Bible in the air. You're like, I'm getting my workout in. Maybe you need it. Shelter in place. Turn with me. I need it. To Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We are going to pick up in the exact passage that we left off at last week. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Give you the brief context if you haven't been following with us. Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell to a church that he did not start and that he had never visited. That's rare. Paul gets an opportunity to write them a letter because a friend of his is visiting, telling him this great report about the church at Colossae. And Paul's like, I need to write them a letter. I'm going to encourage them and warn them about a couple things. But more than anything, I'm going to talk to them about the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is greater. That is the message of Colossians. And Paul goes off about it in chapter 1 and at the beginning of chapter 2. But when he gets to the back half of chapter 2 and into chapters 3 and 4, he's talking about the practical working out of our faith. How do do you take off the old you and put on the new you? How do you make sure the old you stays dead and the new you comes to life? And the answer is living under the blessing of your heavenly father. You don't believe me? Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. If you're there, say I'm there. Come on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, shut your mouth. Every time you read that verse, you need to be reminded, I'm holy and dearly loved in the sight of God. God has chosen me regardless of my behavior. We need to just stop for a second. Sometimes you're reading the Bible. Sorry, I said shut your mouth. Sometimes you're reading the Bible and you're like, wait, is that actually accurate about me? Yes. And the sooner you agree with what God has spoken over your life, the sooner you'll walk in your new identity in Christ. Have you been accepting that God calls you holy this week? Have you been embracing that you are dearly loved by your heavenly father? 
as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love this passage because Paul starts translating what God has done for you relationally to what these words mean for your relationships with the people around you. He says, if you're, if you're chosen by God, if you're dearly loved by God, if you're holy in the sight of God, then you need to put on patience. You need to put on humility. Then you need to put on all of these virtues because God has forgiven you. You should live in a state of forgiveness to the people around you. Christians of all people should be absolutely unoffendable. Because they know, this is what I've been saved from in the sight of my Father. I am ready to relationally relate to the people around me. I know that's a lot of words. You're looking at compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. And it feels a little bit like it's some work that you have to do because you're like, okay, i got to be compassionate. i got to be patient. i got to be gentle. i got to make sure I'm good. Am I good? Am I good? And that's why I love verse 14. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love that. Paul's echoing Jesus' interpretation of the Old Testament law from the book of Deuteronomy. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you got lost in all of those virtues and you're like, I can't, I can't be all of these things, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure you put on love. Because when you know and you're overflowing with the love of your heavenly father, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be patient with people. You know what you're going to do? You're going to be humble because you know you've been saved from a place where you couldn't save yourself. You know what you're going to do? You're going to be really forgiving to the people around you. Because if you put on love, it binds everything about the Christian life together in perfect unity. I love this passage. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Some of y'all need that today. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Oh my goodness, that passage. If, if there is one passage in the book of Colossians, and I would say in the New Testament, where I think we need to live the most when we're curious about the will of God, it's Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. I love this. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as, one mem- as members of one body you are called to peace. Our church has a lot of young people who are curious about their future and who are trying to figure out things like careers and marriage and what city they want to end up in and what's my calling. That's probably the most common question I get as a pastor. How do I discern the will of God so that I don't miss my calling? And the reality is this passage echoes the fact that God's calling has less to do with the individual gifting he's placed on your life and some kind of expectation he has for what you should do and more about the mindset and attitude you go into whatever he's called you to do today. 
Since as one body, you are what? Called to peace. You know, there's no Christian listening to this message right now who hasn't been called to peace. I don't care if you're a lawyer, a doctor, a stay-at-home mom. I don't care if you sell insurance. I don't care if you're in ministry. I don't care if you're a singer, an artist, or unemployed and trying to figure things out right now. Your calling is to the peace of God that's available in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, he says, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly, that we should just be overflowing with thankfulness about what Jesus has done for us. And I love, I love the end of this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I heard a sermon when I was in college. It changed my life because I was curious about the will of God. I knew I wanted to be a, a, a pastor, but I didn't know the timetable that I was supposed to get married. I went with the early timetable, which is probably why my father-in-law was so thrown off when the Panama City thing happened. But I was trying to figure out a lot of things about the will of God. And I heard a sermon from this passage. It was called God's will is whatever. I love that. Sometimes we get stressed out trying to discern the mind of our Father, and we're trying to figure out things that God hasn't called us to figure out. God's will is that in whatever you do today, you do it with a spirit that is overflowing with thankfulness, that you're overwhelmed by the peace of God that's available in Christ Jesus. When you live in the center of the ways of God, you're already in the center of the will of God. How, how do I make sure I live in the center of the ways of God? How do I make sure my, my life is submitted to him? Here it is. Are you connected and overflowing with the blessing of your heavenly father today? Is it clear that gratitude is a marker of your faith, not apathy or entitlement? That's how you know whether or not you're in the will of God. God will define your path as you go. But that's why I called this message the Father's blessing. Because everything about Christianity breaks down if you're not in relational connection to your heavenly Father. God has rigged Christianity to be relational. And what I mean by that is that it just will not work if you're not in love with God or realizing that God is in love with you. There is no amount of effort that you can put in to work this stuff out so that you live like a Christian if you're not overflowing with the relationship that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to read some of the verses that we just read and tell you how impossible they are to do if you're not overflowing with the love of God. Look back at verse 13. We read over this really fast, and some of you are glad I read over it fast because there could be some tension in the room that you're in right now. We're going to read it again. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any any of you has a grievance against someone. That word bear with someone is the word endure in the ESV. It literally means to put up with someone who has disappointed your expectations. Paul says you need to endure people who, who disappoint your expectations and you need to let forgiveness be a marker of your relational life. Now watch this. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you see it? That command is impossible to do if you're not readily aware of the forgiveness that's been given to you in Jesus. So if you walk into your life and just try to forgive people all the time, you're going to end up bitter because you don't have the strength to do that, especially when you consider what some of you have gone through. And I don't want to touch on forgiveness lightly today. I realize in our church there are people who have been wronged in ways that would make us bawl our eyes out if we could film a story of what you have gone through. I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not trying to talk about things like abuse and difficulty and hardship. Like, well, you just need to forgive the people that betrayed you. You just need to forgive the person that you trusted who let you down. You just need to, no, 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 no. God meets you in that place. 
He's sensitive to your needs. But here's, here's the thing. You have to be so aware of God's forgiveness in your life so that you can extend it to someone else. And if you haven't received it, you can't give it. So the only way to live in a state where you're not offended by anybody else around you is when you're aware of the fact that God, past tense, forgave you. I love the tenses of Colossians. I love how Paul goes back and forth between what happened then and what's happening now. And when he says, forgive as God forgave you, some of you need to hear this. God's forgiveness over your life is a past tense reality. Meaning what Jesus did on the cross was finished and complete. And every time you go before God and you feel like you got to earn that forgiveness all over again, you need to know you already had the blessing of your perfect heavenly father and you already have forgiveness. The reason why the Bible commands us to confess our sins to God and to one another is so that we can receive from God the fullness of healing that only he can give. You were forgiven in the past. But when you're aware of that forgiveness, there's no way you walk away from that relational reality and start holding grudges against everybody else who let you down because you know how your father has treated you. See, it's relational. It's not enough to go, hey, live the Christian life like this. It's, are you overflowing with thankfulness under the blessing of a heavenly father? Or are you trying to do this on your own? I'll give you another example. You can't do this if you're not connected to the love of the Father. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. This is one we all need right now. But the peace of Christ is impossible to get through to you if you do not understand, appreciate, and celebrate the peace that Jesus came to make between you and God your Father. And it's only when you have an appreciation for that peace that you're able to walk in peace. Give you an example. This passage always threw me off. The night before Jesus died, you read John chapter 14, he tells his disciples, he says, I want you to have peace. I don't want your hearts to be troubled. Well, Jesus, that's kind of hard because you're going to die on a cross and you're like all their hopes and dreams have been put in you. They walked away from their lives. He knows their hearts are probably going to be troubled by what they are about to see, but I want them to have peace. Here's how Jesus gives peace in John chapter 14. He makes a speech about his father. Read John 14 this week. And think about how bizarre it probably was in the moment. Jesus is like, I want you, don't let your hearts be troubled. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, wouldn't I have told you? Guys, don't read the Bible going, yeah, I've heard that verse before about the father's house having many rooms. And I sang a song about it growing up. I'm going to my father's house. It's a big, big house. Still got like PTSD from, from my Southern Baptist church growing up. And, and, and so we think about these verses. Guys, this is the weirdest statement Jesus could make. Don't let your hearts be troubled. My dad's got a lot of rooms in his house. If I'm the disciples, I'm like, for the millionth time, great, Jesus. Not relevant to anything that we're talking about right now or anything that we're about to face. Great, I'm sure it has some kind of future meaning that we're going to figure out. But what are you talking about? Your dad's house has many rooms. And how in the world does this give you peace? And you follow that passage through in John chapter 14. And over and over again, Jesus is like, my father, my father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus is trying to go, hey, peace is available for what you're about to face that you don't understand when you truly appreciate what it means for you to be brought in right relationship with your heavenly father. And if you could just let that sink in. Oh, if you could let the father's blessing cover you. There's peace in that. Because you might not know how everything's going to unfold in real time, but you do know that God is your dad. This is how Jesus lived his life. When Jesus lived, he did not live in a progression of interpreting his spirit by the circumstances of his day. 
He lived in relational connection to his father and operated from that security so that the validation he received at the beginning of his ministry carried him into peace throughout. Don't you think it's weird that when Jesus was baptized, his father gave him a blessing before he did any ministry? Jesus never walked on water, definitely hadn't died on the cross, no miracles, observable. And yet when he's baptized by John the Baptist, the father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Why? Because God knows the only possible way to take on the challenges and relationships that are in front of you is if you receive the blessing of your heavenly father for yourself. And the blessing of the father was the fuel of how Jesus lived his life. And then he says, my peace, I leave with you. I do not give as the world gives. What does that mean? Jesus is going, hey, my relationship with my dad, yours. That should make you shudder at the thought that Jesus would go, the validation my dad gave me, the power he gave me, the approval he gave me, that's for you. Well, Jesus, wait, what's going to happen to you? I'm going where you should have gone, to the cross. And the worst part about the cross was not nails or wood or whips or insults or nakedness. The worst part about the cross was that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father had to forsake Jesus because that's what we deserved. But on the other side of Jesus taking on our punishment as the father turns his face away. On the other side of that is the blessing that belongs to Jesus that now covers us because of his blood. You have been given the blessing of your heavenly father. And the only possible way to live the Christian life is if that gets down deep into your soul. So, How do I stay connected to the fact that my father has given me a blessing? If you're anything like me, you're hearing this message right now and you feel really close to your heavenly father, but you're already, especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, you're already worried about Tuesday or Wednesday when this message doesn't feel so real and it doesn't feel so like in your life. And you're like, yeah, but I lose that sense of closeness to my father. Why does that happen so easily? That's the very thing that Paul is addressing in this passage. If you want to know, how do I remain in loving connection with my heavenly father? Here is the answer. One of the most important passages I could possibly read to you right now is Colossians 3.16. Look at that, 3.16. Easy to remember. Colossians 3.16. You want to read it again? Here it is. Here's how you stay connected to the love of the father. Let the message of Christ Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here it is. Here it is. How do I remain in the love of the Father? Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Not surface level inspiration from a few verses, not one sermon, not one song. Literally, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 is an invitation to absolutely indulge in the Word of God. We're talking about binge spirituality. 
We're talking about God's going. There is no limit to the amount of the message of Jesus that you should continue to feed your soul with. Sing about it. Talk about it. Admonish one another. What does the word admonish mean? It means to encourage strongly. It means that our church community was literally created so that we can surround one another with the message of Jesus and remind one another, hey, you got a heavenly father who's given you his blessing. And so they can respond to you and go, hey, well, you have too, and here's how I can encourage you. It's literally the reason why the church exists. To, in a community, remind us of the story. What's the story of the Bible? This is crazy. This is the message of Jesus. God is your dad. God is for you. The gospel. The God who made you is your heavenly father and he's so for you that he sent Jesus to die on your behalf and rise again so that you could live a new life. And that blessing doesn't just cover you the moment you become a Christian. That blessing becomes the source and the foundation of how you live your life every day of your life. But I forget, but I I lose the feeling of that closeness to God. I am telling you that's why you have to let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. It can't be one time. It can't be one day. It needs to be a constant flow of reminders. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. And that's why the word of God is central. I said last week that there's a lot of things we're strong at as a church that, man, I just want to commend you guys for. But one of our weaknesses that God has called me to preach into is that I think there's way too many of us tuned into these sermons and too few of us tuned into our Bibles. And I don't mean like, we. I know you have your Bible, but like knowing how to let this message dwell in you richly. You're like, what part? All of it. It takes time. It takes effort. But that effort is not to earn a position in a relationship with your heavenly father. It's on the backside of already having the blessing of your heavenly father. So here's my vision for Auburn Community Church. I believe God is going to carry us as far as we are willing to agree with him and grab access to the life he's freely given us. I've been asked recently about the future of our church, which I used to get asked a lot, and and then COVID-19 hit, and it's like, well, nobody really knows what the future of the world is even going to look like. But recently I got asked, like, hey, what's your couple-year vision? The truth is the Holy Spirit has to reveal that. But I do believe that God has given us as much of his presence as we are willing to say yes to. I believe you have as much access to the presence of God as you are willing to surrender your life and actually step into. This is what's so beautiful about the Bible. God will leave all of these diamonds right in front of you. He'll give you the power of his Holy Spirit, but he will not do the work of relational connection for you. He's given you the blessing. He's invited you in, but you have to be the one who steps by faith and says, this is so simple, I trust you. I agree. I'm in. And I just want to challenge our church in this moment. Can we be a church that says yes to every blessing, every ounce of favor and protection our Heavenly Father wants to give us? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying I know what the road looks like right in front of us. But can we get to a place where we say yes? Why? This is where we're going to wrap up. Because it's possible to be underneath the blessing of a father, but not be aware of it. And more than that, not be delighting in it. You don't believe me? Read the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 this week. It's possible to have the blessing of a father 
and not delight in it and not live in it. You know, last week I got so emotional talking about the reality of God as a heavenly father and the amazing picture that's painted in Luke chapter 15. If you don't know the story, it's the story of the prodigal son returning home after running away and spending an inheritance that he was never supposed to ask for, spending it away in wild living, running from his identity as a son of his father. And a lot of us know that story to be the story of the son coming home and the father runs out to meet him, embraces him, kisses him. And before the son can even finish his apology speech, the father has already started a party and welcomed him home. It's the most amazing picture of God as a heavenly father. And every time I read that story, I am more dumbfounded by the grace of God. But here's the thing. In many of your Bibles, that story is called the parable of the lost son. And the part that I think so many times we skip is the part where the party starts. And there is one person who's noticeably absent from the party. It's the older brother. And I I just want to tell you that more often than not, when I wake up in the morning, my return to God doesn't necessarily look like the younger brother coming home from a life of sin that, that you're giving to God. I think we all have those moments and we all have sin that we're unaware of. But more often than not, on a daily basis, I find a lot of the obstacles between me and the blessing of my father look like the older brother. Let me read to you what happened to the older brother in Luke chapter 15, verse 28. The party has started. The father has welcomed home his lost son. Read this. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Some of you, that's literally the story of your life today. You're so mad and you're so bitter and you're so hurt that you refuse to take part in the celebration God has prepared. So his father went out, pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You see what's happened to him. He's he's disconnected from reality. He's disconnected from what's right in front of him. Listen to what he says. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you. You're a son, but you think you're a slave. I've never disobeyed your orders. Oh, okay. You perfect son. You've never, ever, ever disobeyed your father. That's a bold claim. But Jesus' audience 2,000 years ago were Jewish people who thought that their effort to please God would produce favor. Never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I read that this week. And my first thought was, I guarantee you, even though the son is naming that as an accusation against his father, his father doesn't seem like the type of father who wouldn't be willing to throw a party for his son. I guarantee you the reason why he had never had a party of his own was not because the father wasn't willing to give one. It's because he never asked. It's because what was available in the blessing was something that was always his. 
He just didn't have his soul tapped into the fact that his father's awesome and his father's for him. And his father is more than willing to say yes if just he would grab what's already his. And he disconnects himself relationally from his brother. He says, this son of yours, when he ran off and spent everything on prostitutes, shaming him, throwing him in the mud, you kill the fattened calf for him. Watch the father's response. My son, the father said, even in your most self-righteous moments, God's first word to you is identity. My son, the father has nothing to be proud of in the older brother right now. This is shameful. This is entitlement to the nth degree. He deserves to be thrown out. My son, I'm preaching today to somebody who's known God for a long time but who's not living in delight of the Father's blessing. My daughter, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The Father's going, there has never been a moment where you've been outside of my blessing. Clearly, you've let lies creep into your heart. And even though you've been in close proximity to me, you haven't been close to me. Some of you have been in close proximity to God for a long time. You've been in church. You teach at a Christian school. You've been following Jesus. You've been baptized. And you've been in close proximity to the Father, but you haven't been living under the Father's blessing. And watch what the Father says to him. He says, we had to celebrate. Your, your brother reinforces his relationship with his brother. Your brother was dead and now he's alive. Don't you get the point? Just come back to the party. ACC, that's the invitation today. And this is something I'm going to be brutally honest with you about. The hardest obstacles that I have to overcome on a daily basis in my own relationship with God. I told you last week, I try to view God like he's a the perfect father that he is but you need to know my main struggle in doing that is that too often I look at the father through the eyes of the older brother it's interesting for me that the choice would be between the older brother and the younger brother because I'm both I'm the definition of a middle child I have an older brother who's a year and a half older than me and a younger brother who's a year and a half younger just sandwiched in between two growing up It's almost like this week, God was going every day, Miles, you have a choice. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be the older brother or the younger brother? And and I have a reminder in my office that reinforces this picture. I had a friend of mine who gave me a copy of Rembrandt's painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And I brought it out of my office. I want to show you today, if it's possible, on camera. Many of you have probably seen this painting before. It was painted in the 1600s. This is obviously a replica, but I keep this up in my office because it is the reminder of two different postures before God. And when Rembrandt painted this so long ago, it's just so beautiful, but so telling because you got all the slaves and servants kind of watching in between. You got the son who has just returned home in his rags and his shoes that are falling off of his torn up feet. And you got a father who just wants to hold him and cover him with the blessing once again. But the part of the painting 
that's so jaw-dropping has nothing to do with the father or the prodigal son. The part of the painting that's so jaw-dropping is the posture of the older brother. Look at him. Look at how nice his clothes are. Look at how he looks down, hands folded, almost as if to say, what's wrong with you? And if I could tell you what my journey looks like into the presence of God every day to make sure I'm living in forgiveness, to make sure bitterness doesn't catch hold of me, you know what it looks like? It looks like going from that posture back here where I've always been. What does it look like for you today to go from standing in apathy, in slavery, in self-righteousness, in your own effort, in your own entitlement, in your own numbness, and go, Father, free me from this. You can take this away. I want to set up a moment for you to have that moment with God right now. And even if for the entire year you haven't been living under the blessing of your heavenly father this is your moment to return home this is your moment to wake back up to what has been yours in christ all along all god really wanted from the older brother was for him to know you're still invited to the party my message today is so simple the father's blessing is yours but you have to take access to what Jesus purchased for you on the cross. You have to let the message of Christ dwell in you richly and you have to rehearse it and you have to sing it. And so right now in this moment, we're gonna sing a song that to be honest with you, we wanted to sing at our church about a month ago, but God was saving it for this moment. The song that many of us have been living in is called The Blessing. And the words of the blessing are from the Old Testament. They're commands that God gave to Moses. And he said, tell Aaron and the priests, this is the blessing I want spoken over my people. So we're actually going to sing a song today that is the blessing of a father over you and your home and your family. And if nothing else got through to you in this moment, I just want to say your ability to watch God do a brand new work in your family right now is directly related to whether or not you are connected to the love of the Father. And this song is so unique because it's not words that we're singing to God. It's words that we're going to sing over one another to remind us what God has spoken over us. You've always had the Father's blessing. But maybe right now, you go, I'm gonna let that message dwell in me. Maybe right now you're gonna think about all of the bitterness and unforgiveness that's been waging war in your soul and you're gonna know, Father, if you forgave me and you brought me into your family in the position of Jesus, how can I still be mad at her? How can I still hold on to this? Listen, it's never about how much forgiveness they deserve. It's always about how much freedom you desire. Do you wanna be free today? Father's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to bring you into the party so as we sing this song we're going to sing the word amen over and over again and I want you to know every amen means so be it I agree I accept would you just bow your head and close your eyes right where you are right now as we prepare for this moment no distractions nothing blocking your mind from seeing God for who he really is right now I wanna invite you in this moment to change the posture of your heart from the older brother to the younger brother. 
Would you think about all the ways within your spirit right now that you've had a blessing from God that you haven't been agreeing with? Let it sink in in this moment. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person listening to me right now who has never said yes to the blessing that you have given as a father. I pray that this moment would be a moment that they never forget, but I pray that they would just pray within their own spirit right now. Jesus, I give you my life. I pray that they would take their rightful place in your family because by the blood of Jesus, you purchased everyone who by grace through faith would say yes. I pray for the ones who like me so often get tripped up by their own tendency to choose self-righteousness and slavery. Would you break us of our numbness, God? Would you return us to our first love? Would you give us sensitivity to the sins that have been bothering you for years, but not because you're mad at us, but because you don't want us living in the slavery of a life you purchased us away from? You don't want us having our stomachs calling out for pig food when a party at your house is available. So God, we want your house. We want your pleasure. We want your ways. We forgive as we have been forgiven. We want your peace. Cover your people in your love, God. We say yes to your blessing. And as this song goes out, I just pray that your church, your bride would receive it. We love you. We sing to you now.